get right into the word of the Lord. And um, just felt like the Lord gave me this, this message. I was, uh, had to travel for a training for work, and I was in the, in the airplane, and it was a really nice airplane. And I opened up my laptop, and I just, the Lord gave me this, this message, and I started to, it was a five-hour, five-and-a-half-hour flight. So the Lord, I, felt like, I felt like the Lord has given me this message for this church, amen. And I entitled it, the, for the sake of titles, The Chronological Precepts of God. There's a story of this man who went to the dry cleaner, his original normal dry cleaner he goes to, but he's seen on the other side, you know, he was getting ready for convention, let's just say, and it was already Tuesday and convention's on Thursday, he's got to drive, and he's seen on the other side another dry cleaner, so that said, uh, one hour cleaners. So he goes to that dry cleaner, you know, uh, uh, and says, here's my clothes, I'll be back in a couple hours. And they said, oh, no, 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 it won't be done till Thursday. He said, wait a minute, your sign says one-hour dry cleaners, one-hour cleaner. He said, yeah, that's just our sign, but it won't be done till Thursday. And how many times as us, as apostolics, we have the name, but we don't live, we don't act it out. They don't know us by our actions. The word apostolic, you know, we, we get it from the apostles, Right? And we follow the teachings of the apostles that they, you know, did miracles and signs. It's all over the book of Acts and, 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 and so forth. And we believe this. And, and scripture says that, you know, we are uh, an ambassador of Christ. As the Bible says, now then we are ambassadors of Christ through God. D- did beseech, beseech you by us. We pray in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. We are an ambassador. The word ambassador the Romans would use that when they would, as they were conquering the world, they would go to a certain city or uh, an area or a village, and they would send these ambassador type of, of, of person that would go and conquer this village or conquer this area, and they would change that language to, you know, be the same as Rome. They would change the culture. They would change all those things in that area so that it can look like Rome as they were conquering the world. And that's what we are as ambassadors, apostolics. We are called to, when Jesus said, greater things ye shall do, he wasn't referring to, you know, if you the blind eyes were open, you're going to open the blind eyes and they're going to see through walls or something like that, something better. No, what he was referring to was greater things and miracles. You were going to reach more people. You're going to do greater things. And as ambassadors of Christ, we're called to go into cities and areas such as our work environment or wherever you work or wherever you socialize. And you are to take that gospel and change it and conform it to Christ. That's how we expand the kingdom of God. That's why the disciples asked, Lord, when are you going to bring, establish your kingdom They were expecting a physical kingdom, but God was referring to a kingdom within the hearts of man. And that's what we're called to do is to preach this gospel, to preach this kingdom to all living creature. Amen. My main text is found in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. It says, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked them, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is um, one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. 
That is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor, neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If you know in the Mosaic law, there is more than 10 commandments that you and I know of. There's actually 613 commandments that they follow. And this is, the question is not the matter of the, what, they didn't ask him what was the very first commandment in the commandments, but they were asking him what is the first and most important commandment of all. And we, and Jesus answers and says, there is no other God. He says, there is no other greater commandments greater than these. Amen. And so if these two commandments are the greatest of all, we should take heed to these commandments. Amen. If Jesus put emphasis saying out of all the 613 commandments, these two, all of them hang on these two commandments. Amen. And the word, Psalms 19, eight says, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightened the eyes. Statue means mandates, precepts, or rules, deriving from the root word that means engraved or permanent. We are to engrave these commandments, that they remain permanent in our hearts. Engrave, we are painfully engraved. We are to keep them within our hearts. In the Old Testament, when they would write something, they would to, to preserve it, they would engrave it on stones. So that if they did it on the sand or on you know something that, that wouldn't be permanent when the something came it, the wind came, or you write something on the sand, you know, the shore will take away what you wrote. If you're trying to write something, you know, to someone that you love, you probably don't want to write on the sand because the shore might take it away. And they won't remember that. But they engraved it in stone so that they could remember it was preserved. In Exodus 28, 9, a few verses to prove this point is, And thou shalt take two stones and engrave them on the names of the children of Israel. In, the, in Exodus 32, 16, it says, And the tables were the work of the Lord, and the writing, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon these tables. So we are to engrave that in our hearts, amen. We are to engrave the commandments of God in our hearts, these precepts that God has established in our lives. The rock can represent Jesus, amen. He says, I am the chief cornerstone. I am that rock, a house that is built upon a rock. Scripture says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, my words, and doest them, I will liken unto him as a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, but it fell not. For it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that heareth these words of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his hand, his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell apart. We have to engrave the word of God in our hearts. Amen. We have to engrave his teachings in our hearts. His laws have to be engraved in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Because what happens when they're not engraved? You experience burnout takes place. You give up. You want to throw in the towel. You feel like there's no hope in your life because 
when you're going through difficult times, and we will go through storms, we will go through great difficulty. It's promised to us as followers of Christ. But when our heart is, when our, when our, when our heart, and when we're founded upon the commandments, the teachings of God, when the storms come, when the winds come, we are founded upon the rock, and nothing shall be able to waver us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That's why it's so important, hallelujah, to get into the word of God. Thy word, hallelujah, have I kept in my heart so that I may not sin against you. We have to, hallelujah, read his word. We have to get into the word of God and understand his precepts, understand his commandments, because that will get us to heaven. That's what's going to save us. That's what's going to sanctify us and get us, hallelujah, to heaven with him in eternity. Job, amen, in Job 19.24, we know the story of Job. He went through a tragedy, amen. He lost his family. He lost all of his possessions. He, his own wife was uh, uh, discouraging him or making him, you know, den to, to deny God. In Job 19.24 through 27, it says, And they were graven with an iron pin and led in a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and thou shalt stand at the latter day upon earth, and thou shalt, and thou after my skin warm destroy his body. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. Despite what he was going through, he engraved God's words upon his heart, and he said, I know my Redeemer lives as long as I'm founded upon Jesus, as long as I'm founded upon his word, no matter what storm comes, no matter what comes against me, I'm firm, I'm founded on his word, amen. Man, I'm founded in his presence. Hallelujah. We've got to be founded upon God's teachings, God's commandments. Amen. My point first one is God is one. He says the greatest commandment of all is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Amen. How many believe that there is one God that sits on the throne and that is Jesus? Hallelujah. I'm going to read a few verses here. Fact number one is that there is one God. In James 2.19 it says you believe that there is one God good that even the demons believe and shudder. Isaiah 46.9 for I am alone God I am God and there is none else like me. Fact number two that God is an invisible spirit. God is a spirit in John 4 24. 1 Timothy 1 17 says he is the eternal God, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And 1 Timothy 6 15 through, uh, 15 through 16 says God blessed and only ruler and king of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in an unapproachable light whom has no one has seen him. Fact number three is that there is one God, he is an invisible spirit, and he has promised to be our savior. I am he, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I even, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no savior. In Jude 125, the, to the one and only God, our savior, be the glory, majesty, and power, and authority. Fact number four is that there is one God, he is the spirit, he is the savior, he 
he was seen in Jesus Christ as the flesh. In 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh, preached unto the Gentiles, seen of angels, received up in glory. This says that that God who is Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh, thy God of age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that is displayed through the glory of Christ. John 1, 1 and 14, the word was God and the word became flesh. Fact number five, the prophets declared that Jesus is one God. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall bear a child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. This God of the Old Testament, that's a spirit, was uh, revealed through us or was manifested in the flesh as Yahweh, God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's Jesus. He is, is like you and I, human, but he is in all ways human, but also in all ways God. The apostles declared that there is one God. And Thomas had answered, said unto them, my Lord and my God. Fact number seven, Jesus declared that he is the, the Lord and one God. Saul answered, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. I am Yahweh. Fact number eight, in the fullness of God, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1.19, for God was uh, the reconciling the, word to, the world to himself, for in God dwells the fullness of God. Why is this important to know? Because we need to understand that he is one. In Isaiah 42, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I shall not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. One more verse. And now, O Father, glorify thou with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus was praying in view of the upcoming crucifixion. He had to come into the world to offer his life for you and I as a sacrifice for humanity, amen. But he knew that this was the, he knew that this was the supreme perfect will of God. And after contemplating his death, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, because he was in all ways human like you and I. He was afraid, as the scripture says, that he sweat uh, tears of blood. That's how much anguish and agony, anxiety he was going through. But he said, but for this is the purpose that I have come for this hour. The glory which was Jesus referred to was the glory that he was submitted to the plan, to the will of of God through crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. Immediately after that statement, John 12, 27, Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. And, and there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Then Jesus explained, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Referring to if I'm ascended on Calvary, I'm going to draw all men unto me because that was his will to die for our sins. And because he died, you and I have life again. Why? am I saying all of this? Why am I am putting emphasis that God is one? Because he didn't send God the Son. He didn't send God the Holy Spirit. He came himself. What crucifixion was a shameful way to die. 
they would escort, they would, you would just go through so much pain, so much agony. The Romans did it for three centuries and they perfected this. And if you read and if you study what he went through through crucifixion, it's a shameful way. They would take all your clothing off, they would whip you, they would scourge you with a whip that had a sharp ends, but they would put bones on there. When they would lash you, the skin would peel off, it would take off, extract your skin from the top of his head to the heels of his foot. They put a a crown of him, of thorns on him. What we consider shameful, he considered glory. What we considered a shameful way to die, God himself came down on earth and that was his glory. That was his honor to die for you and I. He was glorified through the crucifixion. He was glorified through that cross, that old rugged cross. And that's why we love him, amen? Because he first loved us. God came himself. God gave his own life for you and I, amen. He stretched himself on that cross so that you and I can have life, so that veil could be torn, hallelujah, so that you and I could have direct access to God. You know, the scripture says, no man put, putteth old uh, new wine into an old wineskin. The reason why is, is because if you put new wine into old wineskin, that wineskin has been already expanded to its capacity because when you put wine in there originally in a new wine, in new, in, in new wine, in new wineskin, the fermentations cause it to expand and that wineskin begins to expand bigger and bigger. But when you put a new wine in old wineskin, what happens is it bursts. Jesus said when he was on that cross, they pierced his side and blood and water came out of that. I feel like that represents God. He's coming into a new era, a new time. The moment he dies, the moment he resurrects, you and I have access to. Blood came out, can represent the love that he shed on Calvary. Water can represent his spirit upon us. God burst and he stretched himself. He died on that cross so that you and I could be set free, so that you and I can be washed by the blood of the lamb, so that you and I can be filled with the presence of God. We can live in joy from victory to victory, from joy to joy. We have that peace because, hallelujah, he was stretched out upon that cross. Amen. Second point is love your God. He came himself. He died, as I said, the most horrific death, the most shameful way to die. The, the, they placed a crown of thorns on him, as I said. Now, as I was studying through Lagos Bible study software, it says crown of thorns can represent grief, sorrow, and anxiety. That crown that was upon him. He died for our grief. He died for our mental health. He died for our anxiety. He bore all that on the cross, your anxiety, your grief. How many some deal with anxiety? I know I do. How many deal with grief? You see what's going on in the world. It causes anxiety. It causes you to stress out. You're, nothing's happened yet, but yet because what you hear and what you see, it's causing you to stress. It's causing anxiety in you. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to You're worried about the future. You're worried about your children. You're worried about what's, what's this world going to look like in the next 20 years. And you're thinking about all this and your anxiety is growing within you. But God died for all that. He bore all of your anxiety. He bore all of your grief on that cross. Amen. Who hath believed our report to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form, nor um, um, and when we shall see him, there shall be no beauty that we should desire of him. His face was just distorted. It was just 
a, a, a painful thing to see, to see him, the suffering that he went to, amen. He was despised and rejected by men. He was rejected by men. And how many like rejection? None of us like to get rejected, right? It hurts. He was rejected by men. He surely bore all of our grief and carried our sorrow, yet Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, amen, we are healed in this place. Hallelujah. Love your God, amen. There's, in the Greek, there's four terms for love. You and I can say, oh, I love the 49ers. You may not love the 49ers right now last time I checked. And then you can say, I love my wife. And someone can say, oh, I love Phil's coffee. Right, 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 Brother Devin? And you can say, I love my wife. But that's obviously two different types of love you're experiencing there, amen? In the English, we have one term for, for love. In the Greek, there's four meanings of love. There's storge, which is an affection type of love. Uh, there's um, philia, which is um, a friendship uh, type of love. Then there is um, eros which is a love between the sexes. And then there is agape, which is the highest form of love. It's selfless. It's self-sacrificial. It's unconditional. It, it's persistent no matter the circumstance. Always giving and devotes to total commitment to seek the highest and best. It, it, it's less of need of love and gives more. And that's the love that God is referring to when we love him. It's not a love that uh, storge is a, a nat natural inclination of love. Like I like coffee or the familiar. Um, I love my family. Um, or um, that's found in Noah, the mutual uh, protection he wanted to give his sons. It's like how Jacob loves his sons or how Mary and Martha loved their brother Lazarus. It's not the love of philia, which is a friendship type of love like David and Jonathan had where they loved each other. They cultivated this friendship. It, it, it starts, friend, philia starts movements. You work shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. It's like, you know, we love each other as a church. Philia, you know, we could say that we love each other. We work with each other, you know, hand in hand. But once you say something or you do something to, you know, uh, that, that offends me, we step back and we don't want to help no more, right? That's not the type of love that God is asking. Um, agape, eros, is a love between the sexes. It's a love that you uh, uh, has one to another from face to face, not shoulder to shoulder, but face to face. You observe each other. Uh, you love each other passionately. Amen. But God wants us to love him in an agape way because that's the way he loved us. That's what he did on Calvary for us. He let that example. He didn't want to do it, but he did. He went, he hungered, he thirsted. He went through everything. He was the God of God, the king, the creator of the universe. He had the palm in his hands, but he did it for you and I so that we could in return love him the same way. Amen. But it's a process. Amen. It's a process. Just like when you bear a child or your son is born and you feed him and there's sleepless nights, amen. Some of you, the baby sleeps all night. God bless you. 
But some of us that wake up every two hours and can't sleep at night because that baby's crying and wants his milk and can't sleep. And you go through that process and you're constantly feeding him and you're giving him to eat and everything's focused upon this baby. And then the mother, you know, sacrifices her body to, to bear this child. And she, her body will never be the same after that because of, of giving birth to this child. And she, you know, she does all these things for him, and she feeds him, she puts him to sleep, she changes his pamper, she showers him, and all these things. And all the baby just sees is, looks at that person and says, that's, my, that's the person that feeds me. That's the person that gives me to eat. There's no love for that child, for, for, for the mother. But as it begins, as they begin to grow, and they begin to understand, they begin to communicate, engage, dialogue, and see. And now, you know, they love, they begin to, this love begins to grow within them for their parents. Amen. I didn't know how much my parents loved me until I had my child. I had a whole new uh, respect for my, for my parents to know. But that's the love that they have. It's a process. And the same is in a relationship. You may have seen your wife and She's the most beautiful thing on earth, but you didn't love her in an agape love yet. Amen? Do you be, I don't know if I love at first sight. I think it takes process. It takes a time. Because you can love someone. You can be a, eros attracted to them, but it's not agape where the, that tra attraction will fade. I was half of the size I am now. It fades. <laughs> that attraction fades, and it's no longer eros. Right, but it's filial or it's agape. It should be agape. Church, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved agape, the church. So it's a process. So you, you know, your, your, your girlfriend, you begin to know her. You, you know, you, 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 know you, you create this friendship with that other significant other. And that love begins to grow and grow and grow to the point where you'll do anything for her. And you want to marry her. Then she bears your children, and it's a different type of love, amen. You love her because how she takes care of your children. She gives up her life and the way she loves her kids to, you know, you love them even more. It's a process, church, to love God, and he understands that. Love your God. To love is to be vulnerable, C.S. Lewis said. Love anything and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entang uh, entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, unbreakable, in impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to love vulnerably. vulnerably excuse me. Have you ever opened your heart to a relationship that left you broken? Some people can't even recover from those heartbreaks. Love means to open up our hearts to pain and suffering. The alternative would be to be alone forever. However, we're not made, amen, to void the feelings of emotion. We are naturally desired companionship and affection and love. Even God told Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a companion. Even though we are receptible to pain, we do it anyways. We fall in love. You know, um, this, this lady, Elliot, said uh, the, mo the um, new, she put um, better than most what it meant to love, uh, excuse me. It says better than the most what is meant to love and lose in the path of loneliness. She, she, it's not on here. I'm sorry. I didn't write it down. 
But that's what it means. Even Christ is love. We think if we follow Christ, we follow his, 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 his words and, 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 and just love him, we're going to be hurt too. Christ says those he loves, he chastises. This picture that Joel Osteen says, your best life now, it's going to be terrific. It's going to be amazing. It's good for writing books and attracting people. But Jesus says, if you love me, take up your cross and follow me. So we're going to experience hurt and grief in serving God and loving him. But it's, it's, it's beneficial to you and I. He is our creator. He died for our sins. We have an internal reward which is in heaven that our temporal sufferings do not compare to the glory that is going to be revealed by us through Jesus Christ. Yes, loving God hurts. Yes, loving God can be painful because we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our flesh. But in doing so. So suffering, there's a greater reward in heaven for you and I. Hallelujah. Solomon says, above everything else, guard your heart. The heart determines where your priorities are in life. The heart is where love and passion and hope and faith and charity and dreams and pursuits are. Your heart is the center of everything in your life. Whatever you feed your heart is what you think, what you speak, what you desire and what you pursue. But we have to give our heart to Christ. Amen. We have to give this love to God. It's painful, like I said. We're going to experience grief. We're going to experience, how, just like Paul, he experienced shipwrecked. The thorn in his flesh that was bothering him. He was in prison, just like the early Christians who were crucified, who were martyred, excuse me, in arenas. Hallelujah. Just like Joseph, who was falsely accused, who was in prison. Just like the uh, uh, Peter, who was uh, crucified upside down and just like Jesus himself who was abandoned who was betrayed by God the father but speaking of himself but he was in all ways God he experienced rejection Jesus his own disciples they weren't even there when he really needed them don't you have friends like that when everything's great they're here they're there they're fellow but when you go through the thick when you go through grief when you go through sorrow they're nowhere to be found that was Jesus when he really needed his disciples there weren't there one of him betrayed him he went through all those things as well but hallelujah I rather give my heart to God I rather give my life to Jesus I rather trust him than trust anyone else amen because we have an internal warning his love is better than life the disciples counted it an honor to die for the cause of Christ Thy rod and thy staff says, it comforts me. The rod is to discipline you, but the staff is to guide you. God disciplines you. He puts you through difficult situations, but he's also guiding you and gearing you to where you need to go. Amen. We need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. There's a big difference between doing for God and being for God. We think doing for God is doing his works, preaching, singing, ministering, and, all, and we, we have it way up here. We're practicing, and all those things are good. We're perfecting. We're getting better. But being with God is right here. And that's a big difference, amen? They serve the ministry, and they don't have a relationship with Christ. 
No, that's why Jesus says, many will come in thy name, saying, Lord, did we not cast out devils? devils? Did we not do wonderful works? But he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that's how spiritual burnout happens when you serve, the, do the work of God, but have minimal relationship with God. That's when the church, there's going to come, the church is going to face trials. When God is using the church and causing the, there's going to, things, difficulties are going to arise because the enemy doesn't want the church to grow. That's a good sign. The enemy's afraid. He's trying to stop the church. Those things are going to happen. And if you're founded on just doing for God, rather being with God, that's where, you know, you get discouraged. That's where you throw in the towel. That's when you give up. That's when it was just emotional. Or they take, we're going to take you off this position and you leave the church. You know where that person's heart was. Amen. So we have to pursue God, pursue his presence, pursue him in everything that we do. Amen. In the Old Testament, oftentimes in the New Testament as well, the presence refers to the face of God. The sign, uh, uh, it refers to God's favor upon you. Their studies show that joy center in the brain that is trained and activates by the face of a caregiver. When you hold an infant and you make faces and noises and say things that you wouldn't say to anyone else, there is something that activates that joy in that child. The face of God is pursuing the presence of God. This woman with the issue of blood, Scripture says she was going through the crowd. The mo Jesus was walking through the multitude and he, he said, someone touched me. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, there's many people. You're bumping people left and right. What do you mean who touched me? And the scripture says, and Jesus turned around and she saw his face. She was pursuing God. She had an issue of blood. She was pursuing his presence. And I can imagine when she saw the face said, your faith, be healed, get up and walk away. We've got to pursue his presence, church. We've got to pursue the presence of God. When Jacob wrestled with God, he was pursuing him. He was seeking him. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he was pursuing God with all of his passion, without, with every ounce of strength that he had. And in doing so, God blessed him. God changed his name to Israel. Father, hallelujah. And God changed the course of his life because he pursued the presence of God. Church, we've got to pursue his presence. We've got to pursue his word. Many times we desire, you know, many times we hear the word of someone else rather than getting into the word of God. We hear, pre I, I'm guilty of that. I hear preaching after preaching after preaching. Man, that's a good word. That's a good word. And that's not my devotional time. That's not it. They're preaching the word of God. But this is the word of God right here. We've got to pursue his word. We've got to pursue his presence. We've got to desire God. When you desire his word, hallelujah, directly, hallelujah, there is something. The word of God is like a two-edged sword that penetrates, that brings conviction in your life, hallelujah. The story of Ruth. The Bible says that she left. Ruth was a Moab. She, she married Naomi's two. Uh, the son was Mahalan, I believe, means to be sick and healthy. Shilion means wasty or puny. And they go to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. There's no bread. And they, they sojourn out of that. And Ruth and Naomi, we, we know the story. Amen. They, Ruth, Naomi hears that there is bread 
in Bethlehem. Again, bread means the word of God. Bethlehem, house of bread. And Ruth decides to go back to Bethlehem. She decides to go back to the house of God. She decides to go over there because there is a harvest. There is bread there. And we have to, and the scripture says that when she meets Boaz, which is her kinsman redeemer, which, which uh, God is our, uh, our kinsman redeemer. And scripture says that she gleans in his fields. She's gleaning in Boaz's fields. And they begin to have a relationship with Boaz. And then she meets Boaz at a threshing floor. A threshing floor, I believe, is like what the word of God does. It pierces our heart. It's like a mirror. You see all your defects. You see that pimple right there. Or you see that white hair right there. Or you see the little wrinkles on there. And that's what the word of God does. It, 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 you, it reveals to you what you need to work on. And that's what a threshing floor does. And Ruth goes to Boaz and says, cover me with thy garments. She meets him at a threshing floor. We've got to pursue the word of God. We've got to pursue his presence so that God can purify us. So that God can cleanse our hearts. That God can wash us and make us whole. There's got to be a passion, church, for the word of God. Thy word have I hidden into my heart so that I may not sin against me, against thee. Hallelujah. We've got to pursue his presence. We've got to pursue his word. My last point is love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why God allows us to suffer is so that we can love others the same. You know, when you see someone go through what you went through, you feel compassion, amen? You feel sympathy. God allows us to go through things in our lives so that we can love our neighbor. Neighbor means uh, near or dwell. Any, anybody that dwells near around us, that is our neighbor. We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The way Christ loved us, we are to reflect that towards our neighbor. And if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. If you don't love God, you can't love your neighbor. Some of us don't even love ourselves. But you have to love and you find yourself in Christ. Create in me a clean heart, God. You ask God to take your heart, to take your motives, and you begin to think like Christ. You begin to act like Christ. You see how Christ saw people with compassion. Christ wept at the death of Lazarus. You begin to adopt those same feelings, those same emotions, because you have the same heart like Christ. And when we can experience, we can't give something we haven't experienced. If I haven't experienced his presence, if I haven't experienced his word, if I haven't experienced the joy of the Lord, how can I give it to someone else? But we experience him because we experience it because we love him so much, we want to love others. We don't do it out of duty where the pastor says, you got to go win souls, and we do that, and that creates burnout because working with people is hard work. It's, if you can't even get along with your own sister, how can you get along with someone that has different thinking of you, that thinks differently from you, that that's just has a lot of issues? You can't even handle your own husband sometimes or your wives. How can you love someone else? But that's where agape love comes in. When we love him like he loved us and when we, you know, when we give that love to someone else, we're able to love them. Because winning people is hard. It's not just baptizing them. That's the starting point. They're a baby. You got to nurture them. You got to educate them. You got to help them. I remember there was a young person that, uh, a long time ago. His name was Jose Romero. We met him at a fireworks stand and he got baptized and 
he lived in a in a in a, a, a men's house right by our house. And he still struggled, and we had to work with him. And he would come over our house. We would give him to eat. We would feed him. We would take him to church years, a couple years. It's a process. It takes work. I've seen my parents working with people, taking them, picking them, taking them to doctor's appointment. My dad being blind. My poor mom driving all the way to Newman. They had a daughter work there, picking up people from Newman, taking them to Modesto, which is 45 minutes to get a. But that's love. That's what God births within us. When we can love him, when we can seek him, how that we can love others the way he loves us. Amen. That's agape love. That's why Jesus said, Peter, Peter, and I'm going to come to a close. Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. But God was saying, Peter, Jesus, do you agape me? If you read that in the Greek, he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he asked him the third time, he said, Peter. Do you agape me? And he kept on saying, feed my sheep. Because it's hard. You can't love others in the phileo love. It's, it's, it's you're working hand in hand. They don't work with you sometimes. You got you to gotta call them. You got to love on them. You got to pray for them. You got to be compassionate with them. They don't work with you. They work against you sometimes. But that's the love that God is asking. If you love me, you will love your neighbor as yourself. But first, you've got to find yourself in Christ. You've got to experience that love in Christ. It doesn't, you can't skip this step. It's chronologically ordered. I'm one God. I died for you. I gave of myself for your sins because I did that because we love him because he loved us. Because I did that for you, you love me. And because you love me, you'll love your neighbor. Amen? love your neighbor we're reproducing spiritual children discipleship that's what it's about just like you love your child that's how God wants us to love them they're our spiritual sons and daughters a new, a new creation in Christ there's a story of this man um, who rescued give me his name Nicholas Winton who rescued 663 children during uh, the Holocaust. 663 children. From, rescued them from the Nazis. And his wife found this library one time in an attic. It's a true story. You can look it up. And she saw the pictures of all these children that he rescued. And she told this interview talk show host person. So you can watch it on YouTube. He's sitting there, and they bring this to light, this journal. And the whole crowd that was there were people that he rescued. And they said, stand up, all of you that were rescued by this man. And the whole crowd stood up. Isn't that so gratifying? Church shouldn't be boring. You should never get bored. And when you're in the business of winning people, it's never boring. You want more and more and more. Spiritual hunger, you want more. Natural hunger, you eat. You're hungry, you eat, and you're not hungry no more. Spiritual hunger, you want more you want to win more you want to do more because there's a joy can you imagine how he felt he cried 663 people stood up that he rescued from the nazis that's what we need to do church is love our neighbor it's gratifying it's rewarding it's a beautiful thing to see that spiritual daughter that spiritual son that you won 
that's preaching, that's doing great things. There's no greater feeling, no greater joy. It's worth it all. It's worth it all to do that. Let's stand to our feet, amen. My last two scriptures says, and when Jesus saw and answered discreetly and said unto them, so when Jesus said this parable, the scribe said, Lord, basically said, you're right, you're correct. And Jesus answered and told him discreetly, said unto them, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. He told this man that asked the question, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? Then after Jesus told him, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord the God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He told him, that scribe told him, Lord, you're right. He says, you're not too far from the kingdom of God. But Matthew 13, 12, I've read this before. The disciples asked, Lord, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them in these uh, illustrations? He said, because to them it has not been given to know the, key, the keys to the kingdom. But to you it has been given the kingdom of God. The apostles, we are apostolic. We have, we're not far. We have it. We have the truth. We have the love of God. What is stopping us? We have it, church. It's been given to you. It's at your reach. We can obtain the love of God. We can obtain his grace. We can obtain his mercy. We can obtain, hallelujah, that same spirit, that same love that Christ had for us. We, it's at our reach, church.